Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome back to Healing with Worth. We're your hosts, Naomi and Janine, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. One of the desires of Naomi and I's heart is that this podcast will be a place of hope for you, a resource for you, a place of healing for you, a place of validation for you. We have been discussing these last couple of weeks a very difficult topic for many women to come to terms with and grapple through, and that is how betrayal trauma affects our relationship with God, how it affects our relationship with priesthood leaders, and how it affects us within the culture of the church. We have again with us Kimberly Day, who is a therapist at Life Changing Services, and she was with us these last couple of episodes discussing this topic. And if you have not had a chance to listen to those podcasts yet, I would encourage you to go back and do so because they set the stage for what she's going to share today, which is her own personal story. She has experienced betrayal in her life and she knows exactly what we're experiencing and she knows some of the hard questions and circumstances that come up within the church. And so we have really appreciated her being on the podcast to address some of these issues with us. She, in the last episodes, she addressed kind of the nature of trauma and how that plays into this and how our brains are coded by association and what that means. And also about the expectations that we often have of priesthood leaders and how they are unmet and how those unmet expectations can cause further hurt and harm, even at least equal to the betrayal, but sometimes it feels even worse than the betrayal. And we've just really appreciated her coming on the podcast and discussing this with us. We reached out to Worth about this listener question some time ago, and she was right there wanting to discuss this topic with us. She's not afraid of these hard questions that come up. And we just really appreciate her coming on and helping us work through these difficult questions. So we're just going to jump right in and let her share her personal story. Well, I've touched on a few places, but there's one one part of the story that I, I would love to share with you ladies. And I was in a place very similar to what you were describing, Janine, of how is this realization of how big this is, that it went beyond just, this is me and my trauma, this is my heartache, this was my own loss of my marriage or, you know, the, the breaking up of my family. But it, as I got involved with Worth and I saw and I felt, I saw the tears on you, all of these ladies' faces, and I felt of their heartbreak. And I thought of how much bigger it went beyond them of how there's really even a, just a small number. And we have hundreds of ladies with our Worth program. 
And they're just a tiny fraction of the women who are experiencing this at any given time. And there are so many more that don't even have the words to talk about it as I realized how big this was and how big it was in our church in this place that had that I had come to love and feel as a place of safety. And I'm not recommending this to anyone, but for me, I felt very strongly that I needed to write a letter. And I wrote a letter to the general authority a few years ago, addressing and really pleading for the women of the church, for the ladies that I had come to to know and love and that I saw their pain as I as I was new in the Worth program for myself. This was before I was even a therapist in Worth. And I'll just read a very small part I, I, of that letter to Elder Russell M. Nelson. And I picked him because I knew he had a medical background. And to me, a big piece of my understanding of betrayal trauma was to recognize the biological impacts of the actual trauma piece that I never understood before. And that was huge for the validation of my experience and as helping me to know how to heal and how to move forward, that this is what I was dealing with. I, I referenced the part in Jacob where Jacob describes many hearts died pierced with deep wounds because of the sexual sins of their husbands. And then I wrote in this letter, I said, I want to tell you how much these women are trying, how faithful and loving and committed they are to their families, to the Lord and to doing what is right. They have learned to look to the gospel for answers, and they are searching in the church for the answers as to how to handle their current overwhelming, though often invisible, burdens. But as often as I have heard pornography addressed by the brethren, I have rarely or never heard of, betra of the betrayal trauma experienced by the spouses. These women desperately want to feel God's love and to feel they are seen and that they are valued. Please help us know what to do and know that we are seen. I wrote this letter and sent this off without the expectation I wasn't asking for a response for me. And shortly after I sent this, a few months after I sent this letter, a couple of things happened. One, I had a very personal experience. It was one of those spiritual reminders of something that I'd already learned years before, and that was an, a different perspective on an old Bible story. And I'll share that story here just briefly so that this makes sense. So probably most of you are familiar with the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And that was, I'll be honest, always a very troubling, confusing, and somewhat disliked story. I did not like that story growing up. I just found it disturbing where this story of this man, this prophet being told to, to kill his son on the altar, it just it it didn't resonate with me at all. And I was like, okay, I get that it's an example of faith, but Ooh, honestly, um, just really glad that, that that's never happened. That is a one-time story, you know. And so, but I developed a very different relationship with that story and understanding of it. It was a perspective that actually an institute teacher started in me. And I spent years mulling over and feeling deeply the position of Abraham, this chosen prophet of God, going through, as, I, as you read the book of Abraham, every time he has this major trial or opposition where his life is threatened and his life is threatened by his own father and all of these other obstacles that he goes through through his whole like a hundred years of life up till the birth of Isaac every time he has this major significant trial the Lord reaffirms this beautiful promise and it's the promise of family is fundamental to this promise it is it is what we now know of as the Abrahamic covenant this this promise of 
uh, eternal progression and all these beautiful promises, the beautiful language that it, it, it just kind of tugs at your soul to imagine eternity and what that could be like and this little glimmer of what that that could be but again fundamentally it's about a family eternal increase is intertwined in this very divine way with this family now the ironic thing is that abraham has no kids he has no kids he has like no posterity so eternal increase eternal posterity that keeps being promised is like okay this sounds like a great promise but I'm not seeing how this is going to happen. I'm not seeing how this is happening. My wife is barren. But every time there's a major obstacle that God reaffirms and repeats to him this promise, then he's like 100, I think he's 100 years old. And then this miracle happens. And it's so obviously a miracle that his barren wife, who's like 90 something, has a child. And I, I can just imagine being in this position of Abraham. But all of a sudden, the plan makes sense. And the way it's like, oh, this is how God is going to make good on his promises. Now, all of a sudden, like, there's this clarity. I can see now that, that there's so much hope um, in the life of this baby, Isaac, who was born. There's so much expectation now of, of what, what he is going to mean in the fulfillment of this promise and his role. All of these promises that God has been giving to Abraham for a hundred years seem to have life now and a purpose and, and a clarity in Isaac. It all of a sudden makes sense of how God is going to work his, his miracles and give Abraham a family. Because here, now he has the son. And then Abraham is literally asked to lay all of those expectations, all of that, what he probably imagined for his family and for for his life. He has to lay that all on the altar when he puts Isaac there. And so for me, it's not so much about sacrificing a child, which is just absolutely disturbing, but it is about sacrificing your expectation of how God is going to make good on his promises and how he's going to make things right. And for me, in a very literal way, because I went through a divorce, this story made became very deeply meaningful to me as my expectations of how my family was supposed to go. Because when I entered into my marriage, I had an expectation, like we all do, we have expectations of how this is going to play out. This is going to be for eternity. This is going to be like this. I'm going to experience this. We're going to have this and this and this. And it's going to be like this. And that's, we should have expectations. That's the human experience. But for this, Abraham was asked to lay these expectations on the altar of how God was going to make good on his promises and how he was going to make everything right. And I could imagine in that moment that we're in this moment of just utter darkness. I cannot reconcile. I cannot make sense of how this can be okay. And yet I know this is what I need to do. And I'm willing to do it because I've got that much trust in the Lord. I don't remember the exact quote, but Joseph Smith once said that we will be asked to sacrifice as did Abraham. And recognizing that that pattern of what he was asked to do, not sacrificing a child, but the pattern of giving up his expectations and exercising faith in, in this really time of crisis is something that is for all of us who want to participate in the promises made to Abraham, that's something that we have to go through too. And that realization was very powerful for me as I went through my divorce. 
And as I, in my own personal story, had to lay my expectations on the altar of how my family was supposed to turn out and just hold on to the Lord as he drug me through a very, very dark time. Um, and sometimes I didn't recognize it was him that I was holding on to, but he was always there. So I'd had this experience in the past. And so after I wrote this letter to Elder Nelson, I woke up one morning or one night and vividly had this recollection of this experience and this knowledge that I had already known and was reminded again, very powerfully that this is the Lord's pattern where he, this is part of our own trial of our faith. And that there isn't anything unusual going on here. And that this exactly was what happened to me. That where I was asked to lay on the altar my expectations of how my family was supposed to look like and how God would make everything right. And quite honestly, I'd forgotten about that letter. But I remembered at that on that night that there was a verse in the Doctrine and Covenants that promised that, that said that same thing. That this was actually scripture. It was something I knew and I needed to be reminded of. And that this was what was happening in my personal life as well as the Lord worked with me to refine me into the person that he wanted me to be. And then more time passed and we had our prophet, President Monson, passed away. And we got a new prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. And shortly after he was put in as prophet, I received a letter from from him in response to the letter I'd wrote, written just a few months before that I'd, that I'd forgotten about. <laughs> and again, I didn't even expect a response from him, but he wrote me a very personal, a beautiful letter, thanking me for my letter and sharing his feelings. He says, I, may I express my deepest feelings of admiration for your courage and faith as you patiently endure refining trials. He also elaborated a little bit on the role of those trials in our life. There is a divine purpose. And then he said, then he stated something that pierced me so much. He quoted that verse in the Doctrine and Covenants about Abraham in his letter. He said, the scriptures speak of our being required to suffer tests even as Abraham. And then he actually put in parentheses the exact verse that I had been thinking about just before that had come to my mind. And he wrote, such are never easy, but trials put in our way can help us to become spiritually stalwart and strong. For me reading it in that letter, from a prophet. I'd already had this very beautiful personal experience, actually a number of them, that that confirmed to me that the Lord knew me. He knew my heart. He knew my trials. He knew my tears. And that there was a purpose in all of that. And that he was there with me to help me through it. And this letter reconfirmed that beautiful truth. But it also emphasized to me that it wasn't just the Lord who knew. That the prophet of the Lord also knew. The prophet knew that this, and he knows that this is real. He knows this is happening. He is aware of this. He feels for us. I know that he prays for us. I know that he loves us. And if he could, he would write an individual personal letter to every single one of you ladies. But just as I wrote this letter in behalf of ladies, I feel like this response was not just for me, but this was response for all of you ladies that are going through this, that you are known, that you are seen, not just by the Lord, but by his prophet. As I have and this has taken many years, <laughs> I have started to, as I've considered my relationship with 
with the Lord and with his church, my perspective has changed to one of recognition that I, that I am part of this church and that you are part of his church and that we together, we, we feel part of this need, that we represent the answer and a way of helping one another as we listen to each other, as we support one another in, in this trauma, as we are all around the world, in wards, in branches, in stakes, in families, in neighborhoods, where there are other women who are hurting, who are silent, who feel invisible. We are near them, and they can come to us as, as we speak up, as we speak out, as we I have this this heart of compassion for each other going through this. Even if we're we haven't figured it out for ourselves and we're still hurting, we lift one another as we share those burdens. And in that way, we represent the Lord. We can be his hands because we are the church. Just like the bishop is the church and represents he's a part of the church as he represents part of the church as he represents the work of the Lord in his role. We also are the church. Naomi, you are the church. And Janine, you are the church. I am a part of this. And we are part of the solution for this issue as we support one another in this. And because of how intimate these, this betrayal and this trauma, I, I feel like in a lot of ways that is how the Lord does his work in healing the hearts. Is it is, it's heart to heart. It's shoulder to shoulder. It's sister to sister as we make ourselves open to being part of the solution for others. We are representing the Lord's church as we do that. And I have experienced myself and I've seen so many women who the Lord just sends ladies, go talk to her, go talk to her, go talk to her. And as you're, you will get these gentle promptings to speak up or to share your story, or to ask a question, and just to listen. And I've, I've seen it over and over and over, how the Lord sends his individual daughters, who have these broken hearts, to his other daughters, who maybe also have a broken heart, but they also have a, they have a bigger heart than they know. And in that connection between those sisters, hearts are healed. Faith is strengthened. Worth is affirmed. And healing happens. But the healing doesn't happen by getting a general authority to speak it from the pulpit. The healing <laughs> happens as he, ins- he inspires hundreds and thousands of you ladies. One, to know that you are known and that you are seen and that you matter. And then as you develop your confidence in those beautiful truths, he opens your eyes to those other ladies who don't know it yet or who have lost it, who are hurting because of the betrayal of someone else. And in that way, you share that light because you represent, you are the church, ladies. You have so much more power than you know. You are an integral part of this plan, not just integral, but an essential part of his plan. That's why you're here. That's why you're here right now. Even right where you are, even if it feels like the whole world is your whole world is coming down and you can't help anybody else, there is a purpose in this that you have a, a part to play, an essential part to play, and it's bigger. It's bigger than we can imagine. So, ladies, just hold on. 
Know that you are known and that you're seen, that you're loved, and that you are powerful. Anything that goes against those messages is evil and is wrong, and you can discard it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's absolutely beautiful. I've been there in the beginning, in that place where you feel like there's, you can't do anything. And, and I'm in a place now where I feel that need to reach out to other women. And that's one of the whole purposes of this podcast is to reach all you listeners and to share hope and to share healing. And, and I've been in that place where I've, where I've been prompted to talk to somebody or say something somewhere. And it's led to, it's led to somebody else finding hope and finding a path to healing. I am so grateful to be a part of that work. And I know that as we continue to speak up and to speak out that we will continue to find people and share this message that God is aware of what you're going through. And there are people, there are angels, and this worth program that I have been a part of is full of them. Angels who are willing to mourn with you, who are willing to grieve with you and have joy with you and and all of the whole gamut of emotions. So thank you for your beautiful words and the message that you shared from President Nelson. And I hope that this podcast has helped you listeners shed some light on on this this question and this topic that can be so confusing and and hard to grapple with. I hope that we've been able to bring light and bring truth and and to support you in these feelings and these emotions that you're experiencing. And thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.